0: Welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about writing about minimalism. On today's episode, I'm joined by my friend Kyle Chaka. Kyle writes about art, design, technology, media, and the systems that shape culture for all sorts of publications like The New York Times, The New Republic, Vox, The Verge, and many others. This past summer, he wrote quite a bit for the New Yorker's Department of Design column. At the beginning of the year, he released his first book, The Longing for Less, Living with Minimalism, which is this really fascinating meditation on minimalist movements throughout history, from modernist composers to Donald Judd sculptures to Buddhist philosophy. Kyle and I have known each other for years. We've worked on a variety of projects together over the years, but I'm also just generally a fan of his writing and Wanted to have him on the show to talk about both the new book and his writing interests generally. We begin this conversation talking about the longing for less and talking about minimalism, especially what it means in the midst of a global pandemic and how his thoughts on minimalism may or may not have changed. We also talk about the relationships between minimalism and graphic design and how ideas around simplicity are often masking complex systems. Then we talk about his writing interests and how even though he might not identify strictly as a design writer how so much of his work is really about questioning design. What Kyle's work does I think is expose the systems that shape culture whether those systems are economic, political, technological those questions I think are always questions of design. Remember, Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listeners like you. If you enjoy this show and want to help support it, you can become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter written by me as well as previews of the upcoming episodes. If you like Scratching the Surface, if you want to help see it continue, please consider becoming a supporting member. It truly means so much to me. For all the details, you can visit scratchingthesurface.fm slash members. Thank you, as always, for listening, and here is my conversation with Kyle Cheka. I'd like to start this conversation talking about your book, which came out in january mm-hmm. which already kind of feels like a lifetime ago <laughs> um and the, the book the longing for less it's about minimalism uh in a really kind of wide and expansive view and i read it in quarantine in the middle of of uh, of this pandemic and there was a line in there that i thought was interesting where you say minimalism seems to follow crisis mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh really stuck out to me reading it under this moment. And I'm interested in how, if your thoughts on the book have changed since it's come out and since you know, the world has basically been turned upside down and we are now in a crisis. Um, Have your own thoughts on minimalism, are there things that you feel like could have been added to it now? Do you Mm. see minimalism as a response to this crisis? Like what, where are you now with minimalism and the pandemic?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I still believe that minimalism follows crisis for sure. Like particularly economic crisis, (laughs) like in in the book, it really tracks with the, 2008 financial crisis and various other times in American history where there was like a recession or kind of social upheaval. Um, But I did not really reckon with the idea that we would all be trapped inside of our houses all the time. Um, And like, as I kind of talk about, minimalism is usually predicated on like your ability to find other stuff elsewhere. Like you're relying on delivery food or tech companies or, you know, an Airbnb house or something um so like having a super minimalist home is probably not the ideal situation in quarantine though it's like you know the Minim- like minimalist interior decorating is not necessarily austere, but it is like you have a few things that you want to focus on within your space. And like right now having more stuff seems much more desirable.
0: <laughs> well, and it's something that you write about, and it's actually, it's interesting that you bring that up because I wasn't actually thinking about it in this context, um, is that minimalism historically, and maybe maybe I will ask this question you can kind of... <laughs> explain what I'm trying to say better than the way I'm asking the question and then expand on it a little bit. But minimalism has been kind of reduced to this idea of less is more, Marie Kondo, you kind of all the stuff, the minimalists, you know, all these blogs and podcasts and whatever. Uh-huh. But in your kind of uh, research and thinking about this, talk a lot about minimalism as a result of complexity (laughs) Mm -hmm. or minimalism as a, uh, minimalism after, uh, maximalism, I guess, (laughs) not as in the actual stripping away of things, but as in the, um, you know, how you deal with that complexity. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, it's
1: the end result of a very complicated process. I think in a lot of the cases that I talk about is like, is that what you mean? Or,
0: yeah, you know, minimalism sometimes hides, maybe is a better way, the complexity, it obscures it. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit more and especially kind of how that relates to, you know, or maybe how that starts to fall apart now?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like minimalism does often create kind of a facade, like yeah. the, the, the simple aesthetic or the austerity that it is usually connected with is like, it's it comes after a lot of thinking. It comes like mm-hmm. after a lot of material accumulation often it's like this, this decision that you arrive at after you've like exhausted other possibilities. Um, and it's also has a way of like, I think particularly now it's become a brand. like in the 21st century, there's this brand identity of minimalism that has these connotations of like high culture and intelligence and good taste. Um, but this this idea that minimalism is essentially simple, like uh, actually ends up obscuring a lot of its history and a lot of like the the complexity that it's predicated on.
0: So, right, and and in the book you use the iPhone kind of as a, right. as a prime example of that. But I think the examples you were just using about around um, you know getting your food and groceries delivered and those systems is you know even more relevant now.
1: Right. So it like. <laughs> if you're living in a kind of like minimalist Brooklyn condo apartment right now and you were accustomed to like relying on delivery food or like Amazon to get all of your groceries or whatever, um, like that, that seems less sustainable now or like less mm-hmm. like a smart solution um, mm-hmm. because we just don't have access to the same things anymore. Or like by using those systems, we end up putting other people at risk during the pandemic.
0: Right. And some, sometimes I want to come back to this idea of, of luxury or kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. um, high, high living. Um, but what, what was interesting to me about the book? And I want to talk a little bit about kind of how you went about writing it and structuring it, but is that minimalism, allows us not to think about those systems. Mm-hmm. And perhaps now, now that I'm thinking about it, the biggest change since the book came out and now is that we have to think about those systems. You know, that this is like the, the, the praise of the essential worker is, is in a way talking about these systems that have allowed us to have minimalism in some way. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I minimalism like is often connected to me with like automation and technology mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, some reason, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. You want to believe something is simple. You want to believe that you know by pushing the button, an Amazon delivery just shows up at your door, and you're kind of encouraged not to think about the human side of it. Just right. like in Philip Johnson's Glass House or something, you're encouraged not to think about plumbing and heating. Right. You're right. like encouraged to buy into this illusion. Um, so, like the interface of technology is often very minimalist not just in aesthetics or like superficial appearance but in like concept that you want to believe that it's as simple as possible even though it's really not
0: right can you talk about I'm very curious we talked a couple times as you were writing this book and I get the sense and you can tell me if I'm wrong (laughs) that the book that you ended up writing was not the book that you thought you were going to write going into it (laughs) Totally, Totally. and i'm i'm really interested in that evolution and also just kind of in how the research changed the book because because the the research in this book is really kind of far and wide from um you know kind of zen buddhism to uh donald judd to like minimalist composers to yeah. Marie Kondo and everything today. how did how did this book evolve kind of through through the writing and research process or how did it kind of go in ways you weren't expecting it to go?
1: Yeah, I mean from the <laughs> it's a really interesting process just because of like the nonfiction book industry. Like Mm. you do in nonfiction, you you usually write a proposal for your book. And that's what an editor or publisher buys. Um, So my idea for the book initially was, you know, there's a real absence of histories of minimalism. Um, Like it's just, it's not a thing that exists. Um, And so I had the great idea to write a history of minimalism. And then I (laughs) discovered that the history doesn't exist because it's like very, very hard to define and like represent. There is no like linear history of minimalism that you can write as you would like a history of world war two or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's Um,
0: what you thought you were going to do. You thought you were going to write it. Okay. I thought it
1: was going to somehow track on a chronological basis. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, one, one century by the next, (laughs) this like cultural (laughs) idea of austerity. Oh, interesting. Um, And that, yeah, I really found that that didn't work. (laughs) Um, It was like hard, hard to define, hard to like put in a line, which I think is right because Mm -hmm. minimalism is a diffuse and thematic and abstract idea more so than like um, a a delineated theory or whatever. Um, So I kind of like, as, as I was facing that difficulty, I, I started to make it more, more thematic and more like mm. associative and less defined. And I also had, I kind of never thought about biography that much before. Um, mm. It just like, wasn't a form that I related to, but biography and like telling people's life story became a really good tool for like showing how the idea of minimalism evolved and, and developed because You know, people like Donald Judd or Agnes Martin or Philip Johnson both like practiced these aesthetics and live them in various ways.
0: This might be a really in the weeds question, actually, but you know, I I what I really enjoyed about the book, um there were a lot of things I enjoyed about the book, but one thing that surprised me was the uh and I apologize for this word, but the kind of poetry of it. (laughs) Um, it was very free associative and uh, and we would go from one thing to the next I was like huh that's so interesting how we kind of moved seamlessly into this other person that I you know maybe wouldn't have put together right away and I'm I'm very curious in kind of how you selected how and why you selected the people that you did and if there are there are other people and ideas that didn't make it into the Mm. book because I feel, you know, this this book could have easily been twice as long, Um, you know, (laughs) if you wanted to add in, you know, all of these, these people, Um, how did you kind of think about that structure and that these were the people that you were going to kind of profile or use as, as case studies here?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of evolved to fit the structure that I had defined for myself. I mean, I decided I decided on these four themes of, of the book, like these core aspects of minimalism that I had come up with, uh, which were reduction, emptiness, silence, and shadow. And they kind of, I mean, those subjects co co co-evolved with the people I wanted to talk about, I guess. Um, And so each of these had a few different like characters associated with it. So Reduction was kind of about these lifestyle gurus like Mary mm-hmm. Kondo and the minimalists. And then Emptiness was about visual artists who who adopted minimalism or like pioneered minimalism. So that was naturally like these artists in Manhattan in the 60s, like mm-hmm. Donald Judd mm-hmm. and Agnes Martin. Um, and Silence was about composers and and kind of our sensory environment. So... Uh, it it kind of tracks the idea of ambient music from Seti and Brian Eno to like the formal minimalist composers, like Philip Glass and stuff. Um, And then Shadow was this idea to like incorporate the heritage of of Japanese Buddhism, which is like a constant reference point for a lot of Mm -hmm. minimalist thinking. uh, But I think never really gets the full treatment that it deserves. Um, So it kind of evolved from, from those ideas and then I I wanted to have a few core characters per chapter and then I kind of referenced other people as needed
0: and it's it's interesting and I don't mean we this conversation will not be a whole conversation just on your writing process but structurally I was also interested in how you allow connections to happen but you also let things stay unresolved, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and then there was a certain kind of openness to the end. Um,
1: <laughs> well, the but, ending uh, endings are the worst part. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just thought I like it, it. I I was not mad about it. You know, yeah. I did not think that it it didn't resolve or that I wanted an answer. But I thought that that was a very um, particular decision. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean. So the ending, the final chapter is shadow and it is Mm -hmm. about, it's mostly like me going to Japan to, to do this research. Um, And I think, I mean, I I also wanted to end on shadow because it was the most unresolved and kind of the most far reaching. Uh, And I think, I mean, just as you can't chart a linear path of minimalism, you can't like have a definitive conclusion. That's like, we've come to the end of the book. Like, here's what minimalism (laughs) means. So right. instead it's about like coming up with an evocative scene or like an evocative image to mm-hmm. end on. And
0: mm-hmm. I think
1: the, the Japanese rock garden really was central to the book and was like, it's just this precedent of visual and aesthetic and philosophical minimalism in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Uh, and so I wanted to kind of find, find an end in that subject um right and my editor like i i we put images in the chapter breaks like one Mm -hmm. image per chapter break and then my editor had the idea to put this image of a rock garden this photo that i had taken in kyoto right at the end of the book which you know (laughs) i think another running theme in the book is that minimalism is actually anti-language uh so right. to write a book right. about it is is an absurd act uh but right. maybe like so the only the only ending you can come to is an ending that's not in language
0: <laughs> right. right 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 which i like
1: <laughs> i like as a kind of philosophical joke at my own expense um <laughs> i always yeah. look for like forms that cancel themselves out i feel like
0: we should come back and talk about form a little bit because I think you've, you've done a lot of kind of experimenting with form too, actually, but I, I have one other thing I want to talk to you about the book and kind of, you know, I don't even know, like part of me feels like I don't want to tell you this cause I feel like I should just write this. <laughs> um, but, you know, I come from a graphic design background and so I was reading the book, thinking about the relationship to graphic design and you don't really talk about graphic design in the yeah. book at all, other than, you know, minimalist book covers, you know, like what what, what these kind of popular minimalist guides, you know, the aesthetic of those. And maybe either I'm giving away something that I should be writing about or I'm giving you a pitch for, for if you decide you still have more to say about minimalism. Um, but I was thinking about the idea of minimalism and graphic design, and it kind of connects to Philip Johnson. It kind of connects to the international style. I think a lot of the ways designers his, graphic designers historically have thought about minimalism come out of kind of the theories around architecture but it becomes really obvious or clear to me in thinking about the idea of white space mm. and that white space in graphic design is seen as uh, you know the the you know Everything that you want in, in a piece of graphic design is all about the white space, um, the amount of white space, you know, and in a way that is absence, like you talk about in the yeah, book. Yeah. But white space, especially in print, is also a luxury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to be able to, you know, thinking about a magazine or a publication or a book, to be able to have pages with a lot of white space literally cost more money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm curious if you have thoughts on, you know, kind of the, the graphic design angle. I know, you know, you're not a graphic designer. You, you yeah, I wish I knew more about design. it. <laughs> um, but, you know, in your research and kind of thinking about these ideas, if, if you have thoughts on that.
1: Totally. I mean, I think it's a really good point that, like, white space also in graphic design is a signifier of, like, intelligence and taste and mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. kind of, because you can afford to like communicate less on a
0: single page
1: or like, you know, obviously we all know that like graphic design communicates through absence, et cetera, but literally there are fewer words on a page and that, (laughs) that is a luxury. Like I, I, the, like the New Yorker page layouts just flashed into my mind, how they're just like wall to wall text. And it's like, this is what we value. We value the text. We don't care about your like need for empty (laughs) space. Um, Right. Right. And it's, I mean, I do, it must, it must come back to like like Russian constructivism and mm-hmm. like the the early 20th century in graphic design that like, you know, text became its own abstract elements and you play with, you know, this mm-hmm. like very dynamic mm-hmm. arrangement of text on a page. Um, and I think like it communicates similar things as well, like so in minimalist art it, it links obviously to the white cube concept right. where like yeah. the the white empty white box of the gallery is supposed to like reify the minimalist art object as being worthwhile and so the like empty white space of the page is also like reifying the the text or like the the act of the graphic designer and kind of enshrining it as aesthetically valuable um would, I would love to I would love for someone to write the essay called like (laughs) the white page as an echo of the white cube
0: yeah there's something there's something there um for sure and I think I think you're I I wasn't even thinking about it as as actually kind of I was thinking about it purely aesthetics and economics but I think there's something about the communication aspect Mm -hmm. to it too there was a there was a project a couple years ago and i can't remember who it was and i'll have to find it and and i apologize to whoever it it was that i can't remember who did it where they basically analyzed page layouts of magazines from like you know uh the um the like magazines that are in the the like shopping um the like cashier Mm -hmm. line all the way up to kind of high-end magazines and they analyzed the amount of white space and tracked that (laughs) to um how much the magazines cost on the newsstand. And, the, it, you know, of course, it was, like, exactly the magazines that had more white space, that were more open, that were, uh, you know, more, quote-unquote, minimal, cost two, three, four times the amount as the ones wow. that were just, like, packed with content.
1: <laughs> well, it's, like, on the internet, too. Like, yeah. the, the if a website has, like, tons of noise and, like, chum boxes and bad yeah. banner ads, like, that speaks to like a certain lack of quality or like at least like a hustle to make as much money out of a piece of text or whatever as possible.
0: Right. And we, we just think now that when it has all of that stuff <laughs> that we don't trust it, that they don't care, uh, you know, that it's, uh, it's harder to read. And again, it comes back to what you're saying earlier, but there, there's like all these systems behind it. <laughs> um that either are hidden you know a a website that doesn't have a lot of ads is being paid for in some other way
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly i mean like medium or whatever you're talking about like
0: i mean this this connects to kind of what actually what my my next question was or kind of i I was interested in how this book kind of fits into your larger kind of writing project or your interests because this book in a way has kind of like everything that you are interested in is is in there it's like art <laughs> criticism it's about kind of like lifestyle culture it's about luxury it's kind of a travel log i i, I, I <laughs> now that you said that, you know, so. right
1: isn't it a- <laughs> oh totally i mean every book should be everything that a writer is interested in in my opinion
0: i have two questions kind of related to that that, that may or may not be related i'm interested in how you think this book fits into you know your your entire body of work and then you know maybe the sub question or maybe the more interesting question is how do you describe your work or like what is your beat <laughs> if you have a beat how do you kind of describe what what your writing interests are
1: yeah um i mean the i feel like i mean i've, I've had kind of a meandering career as a writer on the internet i guess like i i definitely started out in art criticism like purely in the art world um and then I kind of took a detour into technology and like business writing and just kind of more general feature writing or whatever and I I think in the past like four or five years I've found my way back Mm -hmm. to art more um and so I tend like the things that I find most interesting are often about like how we experience aesthetics and how like the systems that we engage with end up influencing the aesthetics that we consume or create. Um, So like in the case of the book, it is about this aesthetic of minimalism. That's not just art or design, but this like all encompassing idea. Like I think by aesthetics, I mean, I mean all of these things, like a kind of formalized, formal, uh like a formal first way of thinking about (laughs) things or something like i don't mean just visually or conceptually but in this kind of like holistic way um but yeah like my stuff i feel like my stuff is always grounded in like visual experience in some way or that's what i find the most
0: like direct of a connection in in preparing for this conversation in reading the book i i like to think of myself as, as somewhat of a kyle chica completist Um, I I think I've read almost everything (laughs) you've written. And I, as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, really the theme of almost all of your work, and I think this even goes back to kind of like the business stuff that you were talking about and the technology stuff is, I think you are interested in, and you started to kind of say this a little bit in how systems, whether that's capitalism, algorithms, technology, media, shape our ideas of taste of luxury of aesthetics of Mm -hmm. culture uh you know you're you're you it you might come to it from a kind of visual you might present it as a kind of visual question but you're actually interested in the systems behind it which is exactly what you were talking about with the minimalism book too
1: yeah totally i mean i think like i don't know i've over time I find myself like distrusting the kind of auteur theory of art and culture and more thinking about like how particular modes of taste or aesthetics Mm -hmm. get created and like, like reified or like, you know, put into place. So why Mm -hmm. is it that like mid-century modernism was like, came about when it did and why is it so popular now or something? Um, And like, Right now, particularly, we experience so much of culture through technology. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think we don't think enough about how those technological systems, like, actually do shape what we desire and find appealing.
0: I'm interested. So I, I kind of have this, like, theory or argument or kind of idea. Um, you know, perhaps this is is me being a designer and kind of projecting design onto everything but i kind of i kind of see all cultural criticism as design criticism (laughs) and especially in talking about these systems i i I see that as design questions and you have been writing recently for the new yorker their department of design column uh and i'm interested in your relationship to that word design (laughs) um and if you think of your writing as a type of design writing
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it all depends on what you mean by design. (laughs) So, if we're talking about design, so it's a good question. Like, to me, design is kind of like applied aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not design is art and aesthetics like found in in mass produced culture often, Mm -hmm. or like things that are experienced by more than one person at a time. Mm -hmm. So, if we're making it distinct from art. And I'm like completely bullshitting here. Yeah, no, go for it. Art, like if art is is the auteur theory, is about the single object and the single experience, then like design is about scaling that up and replicating Mm. it and like making it more expansive. Mm. And like, I think art often moves down into design and like expands into design. Mm. Um, But yeah, in that sense, like a lot of what I write about is design because design is the experience of... Of aesthetics and of aesthetic choices, um, and we—I mean—we talk about the design of technological systems. We talk about the design of interfaces, just as we talk about the design of a building right. or the design of a product. Um, like we all experience design so much on Instagram or on TikTok or whatever.
0: I mean, I—I I think I think you're right, and I think. The the way I've started to think about design in the last couple of years, and this is a uh, I've said this before on the podcast, and it I, it feels um, a bit grandiose every time I say it. But I, I think of design really at the base level as uh, ideologies made artifact, in that it is taking uh-huh. you, you know it's the systems that we're ta- that we keep talking about. It's taking points of view, ways of seeing the world and turning and actually then shaping the world in that image. And so a building is not just a, uh, an isolated object um, or it's not just some neutral space that then is filled, but actually has ideas embedded in it about how that building should be used or where that road yeah. goes or how this product should be seen or how this typeface should be read. Um, and in that sense, I, again, think (laughs) that your writing is kind of design, uh, design writing. What do you, what do you think?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also about how, how ideologies become embedded Hmm. in aesthetics and in like design choices. So not just talking about design in a vacuum or like visual culture in a vacuum, but trying to understand how. All of these things do enact particular regimes of like power or taste or capital right. um right and like i'm always interested in how an object shapes its own use or something or like how how a structure how, how a structure enforces a certain way of using it or experiencing it um, so, I mean, that's, that could be applied to like a magazine, right. for okay. example, right. or like a book, like my book has a particular, the structure of the book ha- creates a particular way of experiencing it. Um, and so when you scale that up, like it applies just as well to a technological product or to a building or to a, you know, a, a magazine layout maybe. Yeah
0: this something I was thinking about as I was rereading a bunch of of your essays kind of preparing for this over the last um you know couple weeks or whatever I was struck by a certain um there's like a certain level of like skepticism in your writing um (laughs) that I'm really drawn to uh in that I get the sense that you are writing about things that you are not totally sure you buy into. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And and I think like the airspace example, I think is a great example of that. I think your story about uh, Monocle (laughs) was a great example of that. And I think like I reread that profile you wrote a couple years ago on Bjarke Ingels, which I thought was like very much that. And I'm I, I, I want to hear about kind of your kind of critical position and 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 kind of you know <laughs> how you know, does it start with something that you are kind of like unsure about? and does in the process of writing does that change? Do you start with something that you're interested in and then as you're you kind of <laughs> Deal with it more to like <laughs> fall out of love. Yeah, with like it, what's that yeah. what does that look um, like? Does it start with the object and then you kind of go to the the system to kind of figure out like what's how do you kind of arrive at that uh that position?
1: Yeah, I feel like it's always the object. Like it's always the thing that I'm attracted to mm-hmm. or or get obsessed with. Um so like it starts with I think most of the things I write about are things that I either do like or once was attracted to, like, or, you know, I'm questioning why people are right. attracted yeah. to yeah. them. Um, so, like, in, a, in a many cases, I start out with something that, like, seems very compelling or
0: <laughs>
1: interesting to me, even if it's in a negative way, mm-hmm. um, like Björk Engels' Buildings or, like, Monocle magazine. Like, I love Monocle, and I still find it completely fascinating. <laughs> but then as I become more interested in it. I like want to know everything that's behind it and kind of the the structure that gave rise to this product um, and like the influence that it creates in the world. And so I end up kind of like deconstructing the Mm. thing that I like Mm. until it becomes something that I don't like so much. (laughs) Um, And like the best things, you know, bear up to that process, right? You like, you can deconstruct them to nothing and you still appreciate them. Yeah. um, Like I don't know, deconstruction is is a difficult word, but I just—I know what you mean. Yeah, I like yeah finding the the non superficial side of the thing itself. Um, uh, Or like you know, I did this long feature on tourism in Iceland, um, and it like ends in a in a place of total ambivalence of like, is tourism good? Like who knows? Like do we have authentic experiences? Maybe not uh like I think endings are always I I hate to end on a note of resolution like I think at the end of something I feel like I would want to make the reader just like end up questioning all of their own assumptions even about what they just read mm-hmm. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> like
1: if you could come to the end of a piece and be like wait wait a second <laughs> like maybe it wasn't what I was thinking it was um I think that's really good yeah I think like a few within the past few months, my girlfriend described <laughs> described what I what I do, which is like um, it was something like I don't know. We were talking about journalism and how journalism is a lot about like distilling what everyone else sees <laughs> and like rep- representing it again. And she was like, "No, what you do is figure out something that you see and then make everyone else see it that way." Oh. Or, like, you know, inculcate everyone else with an awareness of the thing yeah. and the way that you're thinking about it. Um, and, like, I sometimes say that it's, I, I want to make you, like, hate the things you like. <laughs> <laughs> like, off after a few articles, like, people will tweet, like, oh, like, I used to like this thing, and now after reading this article, I don't like it. I'm like, that's that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> like, because so often culture is about marketing, and it's about, like, passively moving you toward consuming something. And if I disrupt that process, then I'm like making you think more about what you're consuming and that's good.
0: Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I I think (laughs) I have not thought about your writing that way, but I actually think that is a perfect (laughs) description of it. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I want to go, I'm sorry that I keep like harping on this word design. um, But I'm wondering how that, that you're just talking about and look, I know you've written for a lot of places. You always are writing for a lot of places. But I, I find it interesting, again, that you're kind of working on the, the the New Yorker's Department of Design column, which, again, is like the first time I feel like you've like really embraced the label design <laughs> uh, or that a, a publication has em- embraced yeah, the, publication. the label of design was, uh, yeah. as, as what you write about. And uh, Nikhil Savile wrote that column before, who's like my favorite design writer of all time
1: yeah he's he's amazing. Uh, uh, i mean yeah. he's probably doing more good than i am being a socialist politician <laughs> in philadelphia but, i'm trying to get um, him on the show <laughs> he's he's amazing i'm you know i it's hard it's hard to like even exist in the same space because like i'm not quite doing like what was like corbusier's influence <laughs> in japan or whatever it's just like it's a level of of like rarefiedness that I, I feel like I don't even <laughs> understand.
0: But I'm, I'm I, I the the question that I'm that I'm kind of like thinking about is I, I'm interested in in that idea of the column or the vertical department of design. Mm. And does the New Yorker have things that they are you know? If you're writing this, are you pitching those? Um, it, are there things that are like this? is interesting, but this isn't a department of design story. You know, like, I, I it comes back to this definition of design, I guess. I'm kind of interested in how you and then how a publication like The New Yorker thinks about what falls under that column. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That was a weird way to ask yeah, that question. Yeah, I mean, it's,
1: okay. no, it's definitely, the other thing is it's, like, kind of out of my control. But um, <laughs> right. the, you know, there's, I think The New Yorker is really good at having So, like, the first question is, like, what is a column? (laughs) And a column can be one person Mm -hmm. talking about one thing. Like, critics function on columns. Mm -hmm. Like, you need a consistent space Mm -hmm. in which to build, like, a discourse around your own ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I also like this idea that a column is just, like, a recurring space within a publication that covers a a subject. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so... Like Department of Design stuff, especially on the internet for the New Yorker, is not like once a week you will review something about design right. or like right. review a, a thing. It's just like a recurring motif of like let's talk about design and take take it seriously as its own subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, I think it's like a lot of stuff fits under that label, um, and a lot of I mean, for my my New Yorker editor Rachel Aaron's is really great at just like throwing ideas to me and being like what do you think about this Mm. um like do you have do you have a way of responding to this um and so a lot of the pieces have come out of that of her just like emailing me a subject and then I I think it think it through um but it tends to like expand like I, I try to take the most expansive view of everything that I can so like the the I did this piece on how coronavirus is shaping architecture for them and like you know i that's not about reviewing something it's not about talking about a a single object or building or whatever it was about talking to a lot of architects and like seeing how their thinking is changing uh in this moment
0: yeah
1: and that's certainly like an art an element of design it's just not necessarily resulting in a physical thing Uh,
0: yeah yeah and I guess I guess maybe the question a better way to ask the question or or maybe even like a more appropriate way to ask the question uh or or perhaps a more interesting way to ask the question even is is maybe not necessarily what the New Yorker thinks about a department of design story but do you if you are writing for that com, or if you are writing under a vertical that you know you even we can generalize it that just you know is this is a design story do you think about it differently? Do you approach it differently or does does the do these ideas that you're kind of always thinking about you know kind of naturally flow into design stories mm-hmm. at times or do you change your uh, your angle or position or kind of process at all when when it becomes a design story?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean for me, my writing is kind of separated into like I don't know you could call it like articles they're like articles and essays and features yeah, yeah. Um, so like an essay to me is like I, I guess I think more in terms of formats than subjects mm. for my own writing oh, interesting. so like a feature like my ideal pieces are mostly features which means to me that like I go somewhere or experience something and I talk to people and I do this kind of critical writing. Mm -hmm. Um, like a feature to me like encompasses all of those things and it's usually very long. Um, whereas an essay to me is like, not taking place within a narrative space and it's more abstract and it's more like theoretical usually, and it's not so much reporting. Um, it's more like talking about an idea or whatever. Um, and then these shorter pieces are like, you know, they're, I, yeah. I don't even. I know what you mean. <laughs> like they're yeah. pieces of criticism, but they're not, to me, like the the core product of my <laughs> work is like the, the large feature of the essay, right. like this kind of larger scale piece of work. Um, and so that would be something more like the architecture piece for The New Yorker, or like the, the Iceland feature for Vox, or like even the Welcome to Airspace thing for The Verge. Like, so when I, yeah, I tend to think in those formats more so than uh, like what is a design story? Because I do think to me, essentially everything is a design story. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. There's design is like yeah. a conceptual framework for basically everything that I write Exactly.
0: About. But yeah, that's uh, exactly, that. that's kind of like the core of what I wanted to talk about, what, what I yeah, kinda wanted yeah. to, to, to like he, kind of hear how you kind of thought about. Um, yeah, though I wish I,
1: like I'm not that well educated in design, honestly, like I don't have a background of like, like design theory or whatever, I just kind of pick up what I am <laughs> interested in. Like to I me, that's most... like Walter Benjamin is like a design critic. Yeah, totally. At, like, Rem Koolhaas is a design critic. But you could even say, like, Rachel Cusk, the novelist, is, like, a design critic because she's obsessed with, like, houses. Right, right. Writing structure, right? right. <laughs> like her, her writing is designed by other means. To yeah.
0: Me, so it's kind of like I was saying earlier, like everything's just kind of de- a design is about design. Oh,
1: totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're thinking enough about structure and form, you're basically doing design. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was. I was actually. It's so funny that you say that and that you used <laughs> the word structure there because I I was in the middle of a long essay that I was trying to write for somebody. And I just kept like moving paragraphs around because I felt like the structure wasn't right. And I realized that when I'm writing and, you know, I, I, I took like writing classes in grad school, but that's kind of the extent of my writing education. I feel very self-taught as a writer. Um, but I was like, oh, my obsession with structure, that's a design thing. That comes from that comes mm. from the design education of like how these things flow together and how this story connects to this story and the way you know sentences fit together i'm I'm thinking about this as a designer, uh, and I just yeah. started kind of making that connection in the last you know couple months,
1: yeah, I mean, I think there are writers who don't think about writing in a in a design way, like there are mm-hmm. people who just like. You know, write straight through a thing and then they like kind of figure out a structure after the fact. But to me, it's always like I mean, when I'm writing a feature, I like label all the sections very heavily. Right. Like, it's there's the set out structure before I mm. feel my way through the writing, or like for the book, <laughs> like for better or worse, I decided that there would be four chapters of eight sections like way before <laughs> I wrote the whole thing. I was like, oh, that's this, "This will work. This this framework will work yeah. for the writing." Um, and then I kind of work to execute the structure, but then the structure also responds to the content. Um, but you know, there's always like when you're talking about everyone has a balance between form and content, and like mine is way on the form side. That's interesting.
0: <laughs> you mentioned you know feeling like you're not very educated in design, and. You know, you kind of got your start as an art critic, writing about art. You've mentioned you feel like you're kind of moving back to that a little bit. I think The Longing for Less is very much a book about art in a lot of ways. I'm interested in how your background um, as an art critic and thinking about art kind of, has that at all shaped how you write about these other things? You know, or is there anything from that kind of, that background that you feel like you're still thinking about?
1: yeah i mean like like art writing art writing to me has there's like two core problems of art writing and the two parts of art writing are like ekphrasis which is like the description of the object Mm -hmm. and then there's like the providing the context right so like Writing about art, you have to evoke the thing itself in as best a way as possible, and you have to like create a context for that thing by giving people ancillary information. Mm. Um, but like that problem of ekphrasis has always been like one of the most interesting to me mm. in writing. Like, how do you describe? How do you describe a thing that is not language in language? Right. Like that's. That's such a core question of writing yeah um, like so to me that that problem extends throughout all of my writing, whatever it's it's about, which is like first and foremost I need to like figure out a way to really evoke and describe the thing that I'm talking about within the space of the piece as if as if there were no other materials like in the book like, the images are not there to illustrate what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I instead have to like evoke what I'm talking about in words. Um, Right. And and so that to me is, is equally a problem with like the experience of technology or the experience of architecture or whatever. Um, And so I've always thought about that's always like (laughs) my writing is not narrative. Yeah. I I don't know that I'm a good narrative writer and it's certainly not my first inclination. So rather than narrative, I, I describe, Mm -hmm. like I describe systems, I describe objects and try to create a momentum through that. Like there was a really good quote in a, in an interview or a book review, or no, this profile of Sarah Schulman, I think, which was like, she describes nonfiction books as the story of ideas Mm And I think that's like super right on. Yeah. Cause like I don't I mean, I'm not a true crime writer. Like I'm <laughs> not, I'm not if I'm trying to create suspense, it's like the suspense of not understanding <laughs> where like a cultural idea comes from. And I like yeah. that. Like I like the kind of noir critical theory mode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, that's certainly not to everyone's taste.
0: <laughs> Speaking of that, and kind of heading into to my final two questions. I'm, you know, you, you've you spent years thinking about minimalism and thinking about this book. You're always kind of writing a handful of things for a variety of publications. What are you thinking about now? Or kind of like, what's next? Do you have other book ideas? Kind of, where where are your kind of critical interests right now, I guess is the question.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely... I can answer that in two ways. <laughs> the The... I mean I'm working on another book proposal mm. uh and that will be about like the culture of technology and like how algorithmic platforms shape culture oh, nice. as it exists nice. now um so that's again the like systems yeah. question yeah. but it's a much more like everyone is consuming and creating stuff through these platforms mm-hmm. now of like TikTok Instagram Twitter Facebook whatever mm-hmm. um So my question with the book is like, how have these systems shaped the culture that we, that we kind of take for granted now? Um, Like outside of how do we move beyond, how are we moving beyond human taste and human gatekeepers? And what does that mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's like, in some ways, I think all my work builds on itself, hopefully. But like, if the minimalism book is like, where did the idea of minimalism come from? this is kind of about like why is minimalism so popular Mm. in digital space Mm -hmm. and why does it work Mm -hmm. or why did it become the style of a particular moment? Um, So I think that's like good. Um, And I've just been thinking about how like when I was writing the minimalism book, I was like incredibly obsessed with Heian era Japan Mm -hmm. and like the pillow book Mm -hmm. and like all Mm -hmm. of these things and like I was kind of like oh will I ever be interested in anything again <laughs> um but lately I've gotten really really into Alex Katz paintings mm. and so that's and I've been like drawing a lot more which I did in like high school and college oh, nice. but not lately so that's the thing like I always proceed from obsession with whatever so I feel like <laughs> in some way I'll end up breaking that stuff down and <laughs> writing also. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the, the kind of algorithm kind of platform aesthetics thing totally, I mean, you, you've written about that too before, um, with like the, the Amazon thing. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: Like taste. Yeah, and
0: Yeah. Um, so I'm excited. That sounds great. My last question, and this is a question I used to end all these conversations. I'm just, I want to know what you're reading right now.
1: <laughs> mm, that's a great question. <laughs> nothing really I don't uh, I do not believe that no no I'm reading some reading I just I like never really got the point of art books <laughs> necessarily before okay. but I just ordered like I just got this giant book of Alex Katz mm. paintings and like these are images that you like can't find online or if you if you can find them online they're not high quality um So having the book is amazing because I can just, like, go look at the images whenever I want to. Um, And I find that super inspiring and nice. So that book is, like, it has this very long essay on Oxcats' career and all these interviews with him. Um, And then I've also been reading Mary Beard's book on Pompeii, Mm. which is very interesting. And, like, now that I think about it, it's also about, like, how we evoke the culture of a time or place based on like the stuff yeah. that, that got left behind. So yeah. it kind of fits in a weird way, like Mary Beard proceedings, you like wall graffiti and like jewelry and architecture trying to, you know, show how, how these people lived. Yeah.
0: Do you, are you able to read for pleasure or like is all your reading somehow feeding into, I know I said that previous question was the last question, but,
1: uh, no no i mean i i kind of only read for pleasure Okay. like i mean there's like assignments that i have obviously right. but um reading for research is not my strong suit unless i'm really interested in it so like i need to that I, that's also just not where i'm at right now like i'm not yeah. on a big project yeah, yeah. uh that requires a lot of reading yet so those are just like my my whims right yeah,
0: now nice i love that uh Kyle, this was so interesting to me. I loved the book. I obviously am a fan. Um, uh, <laughs> Thank
1: I, <laughs> you. I'm so glad, so glad we could talk about it. And obviously, we've. <laughs> I'm I'm grateful to have had you, uh, you know, talking it to me about it, and like having done this this study hall website project. I feel like we all have to be like commissioners of culture. Also, I think yeah. that's that's another big thesis of mine. Yeah. So we need to like work on stuff with other people and like participate totally
0: and i so. yeah i feel like these are questions like like everything we talk about are things that we've talked around in our just kind of casual conversations and it was really nice mm. to just you know take this hour and just like just deal with all the deep questions for <laughs> once. and so i i enjoy this yeah, thanks for totally. thanks for being on the show of course thank you for having me This episode was recorded on August 6th, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.